2: Mike Renner writes NFL for The Messenger. He is on Twitter at Mike Renner underscore, and he joins us now on The Score Hotline, presented by Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sportsbook and twitch.tv slash Chicago 670 The Score. Mike, how are you?
0: I'm doing fantastic. Thanks for having me on.
3: Mike, when you watch the Bears-Packers tape outside of Chase Claypool, which we'll get to, what stood out to you?
0: I think there's two big things that stood out to me. One is that just no advancement from Justin Fields, right? Like that looked like the guy we saw at the beginning of last year, not the guy we saw towards the end of last year, especially as a passer. And and like, they're not helping him out schematically using what's the biggest, you know, weapon in his arsenal, his legs. Like the, the run game was so uncreative in its usage of Justin Fields that yeah, you're doing them a disservice you know you're doing the bears offense a disservice not to take advantage of that and they really did not in that game and then the other thing is just like they had a record amount of cap space i didn't notice any of their free agent pickups i don't know about you guys but like the additions to this roster they were nowhere to be found on sunday Like impact plays you had over 100 million dollars and you're just getting basically that defense looked the same as we saw a uh, season ago
1: I know they do rely on their defensive system a lot, Mike, but I think you bring up a good point about Justin Fields in the run game. We heard a lot in Chicago about how after the season ended, he didn't want to run that much. So I could understand where part of this might be Luke Getzy answering that request and him not wanting that either. But you still think that there would be a favorable component that feeds the rest of the offense in a way that would work.
0: Yeah. I mean, there's the option component, right? Like you can, you can have the threat of him running without actually running him. I'm not like saying push him between the tackles. I'm saying, you know, when you're doing some wide runs, maybe get an option, like a speed option look in there with Justin Fields too. Just give something the defense something to think about more so than what they were doing on Sunday. Kind of like how, I mean, Lamar Jackson and what Greg Roman did with him is probably like the blueprint for successfully how to use the quarterback in the running game. And and he was not ever subject to too many hits. Like Lamar Jackson... Uh, It really doesn't get pounded between the tackles. A lot of times he's been injured is from him passing from the pocket. Like when you can create space for the quarterback in a creative run scheme, usually you're getting him out in space where he can protect himself more so than he can protect himself in the pocket.
2: I wanted to ask you something as a former PFF person. We've talked a lot, Mike, about offensive line grades and the difference sometimes that we feel – Between the eye test when we watch a guy and how PFF rep after rep aggregates a a a a grade for an offensive lineman, how much more can that system evolve to match the two?
0: Yeah, so it's it's something I like. Before I left, was one of my biggest uh, sticking points, and what I was trying to get was like trying to really get some more. Uh, clarity to the public and how we grade and basically be more of an open book and more of like a feedback loop with even coaches in the league and what we should improve. But I I do think the big thing that PFF does along the offensive defensive line is that it grades how well you execute your assignment, whether or not that impacted the play. And so when you see, you know, just you see a highlight where a tackle gets beat horribly, causes a sack, that's sticking in your mind and you're thinking that guy had a horrible game. He gave up a game-changing sack that's what you're thinking. But if that's the only bad play he had all game, and that's for offensive line and pass protection, that's an elite game, losing once all game. So I do think offensive line especially suffers from a, at least from, you know, if you're just casually watching a game, it suffers from a uh, outcome bias, as opposed to if you got cooked on a play and Justin Fields threw the ball out before, uh, you know, that pressure could come and hit a 60-yard touchdown, you wouldn't even think about it, but it, it would get the same grade in our book. So I do think that uh, that's probably uh, where you see some discrepancies.
3: Mike, when you were looking at the Chase Claypool stuff, can you remember another player over the last few years that maybe fell into the same boat of looking like not assignment sound and maybe a little bit disinterested in their assignments?
0: I'm trying to think right now about someone that comes to mind. I I mean – not really to that degree in terms of like, this is week one. You'll see that towards the end of seasons guys, you know, kind of giving up maybe, you know, your Antonio Browns of the world aren't going to be locked in on every play, but like you don't see that week one in a guy in a contract year doing what he did on tape, like tr- truly like low effort, low accountability reps throughout the entire game. And, and like, I, And some of the ones that I posted were like towards the end of the game where it was out of reach that that's a little more understandable, but the vast majority were early on game changing plays that if he makes better blocks, if he (laughs) executes his assignment better, they could have had a chance of winning. And so, like I said, I, I can't remember a guy who had this much to gain by having a big year really coming out and just putting going through the motions week one.
1: Mike, I also want to ask you this. We were talking about it before our show, Lawrence, Dan and I, about how maybe we notice it more because we're here and it's gone on for a while, but the viral videos just eviscerating the Bears' offense or some sort of breakdown, but typically the offense, have really added up and we're wondering if, if other teams receive the same criticism like this when it comes to just what the viewpoint is. Can you speak to that? Do you do you naturally find yourself drawn to the Bears when it comes to dysfunction, or are there some other teams? I think of the Jets in this as well. That uh, that might come to mind.
0: No, there, there are others, but it's it's kind of, I think it's the perfect storm of, one, a, a rabid fan base. So, like, the Bears have fans throughout the United States, and obviously Chicago is just dominated by the Bears. So Like, a, a rabid fan base, but also, like, problems that have been consistent for as long as, you know, for such a long time at this point Aye. that, like, that doesn't exist. You know, other, you know, you get new regimes, you get uh, scheme changes, GM changes, whatever, and things turn over in other franchises. But for the Chicago Bears, seemingly, that's not the case. And so I think that's really what it is. It's that just the fed-upness of the city of Chicago right now is off the charts.
3: To go back to what you were saying and to speak to, to Layla's point a little bit, When you were discussing the Bears' offense and and Justin Fields looking like the guy that he was at the beginning of the year, there's a concern, like that we've discussed it on this show, that you wonder if some of you wonder if they're coaching him to play it safe, and I wonder about that. I wonder if that's just something that he's developing at, at at his own. But I wonder if they're asking him to play it safe, and that's why we're seeing him maybe not pull the trigger on some of these throws that look like they're there for him to throw.
0: It's kind of what I worried about last year when they went into the season with, you know, objectively one of the three worst wide receiver courts in the NFL. It's that when you have receivers that are that bad, you start or you stop trusting them, you you know, like, because you can't. Like, we saw it last year, you know, on numerous occasions, he had balls picked off that were the fault of his wide receiver. And what that does to a quarterback's psyche is, you know, immeasurable. You can't really put the trust aspect, you can't put that on a stat sheet and and type out a PFF grade for it every Monday, right? Like, it's something that a guy either has or he doesn't. And if you're losing that, which seems like Justin Fields kind of has, it doesn't matter then if you give him weapons he's still going to be gun shy and so i think that's kind of what we're seeing is that just going from ohio state to what he had early on his career with chicago bears he got gunshot and truthfully he's not letting it rip when he should be so uh, i don't know how you fix that but it is something that you have to I go back to you have to scheme around his strengths, and it's the running game, and it's the deep ball. That is two things that he can do. And if you're trying to make him into something else, and if he's trying asking to be something else, like asking not to run the ball, you got to sit him down and say, "Hey, this is objectively not working. We're, we're going to we're going to flip the script here and go back to what does what we know you can do." And so I think that's what's going to have to change here.
2: Then I ask it again: What have you been doing all off season? You got DJ Moore. You got him. You've got number, your number one wide receiver who is supposed to so start building better habits. Talk to each other about, hey, even if I look like I'm covered, if you throw it here, I'm going to get it and this guy isn't. Build those relationships. Actively work to build that trust. And all of a sudden, the season starts and it's not there. I don't get it. Because they said it was there. They said building chemistry. It was, it was, it was all just wish casting.
0: I will say this. I mean, the Packers have a very good defense on paper. This They still put up, you know, over 20 points at the end of the day. Like there is some credit due to the fact that this Packers defensive line is probably a top 10 defensive line in the NFL. And the secondary is probably a top five to 10 secondary in the NFL. Like It's a very good defense. And so there's no real shame in coming out a little flat against them. Now, week two, week three, you know, you go to Tampa and, and that still happens well, then we're going to have to start talking because then that's a pattern that uh, truthfully should not continue.
1: In your watch of the uh, compilation that you put together of pick 32, as you like to call him, <laughs> did you also just notice a lack of of assignment blocking? Because that was one of my confusion spots as well, Like especially keeping an eye on on guys like Cole Komet when so much is being asked of them in the passing game to block or at least assist. Was there something that stood out to you there?
0: Well, it's attention to detail, and there were a number of plays that I didn't even post in because there were a little bit more, like, nuance in some of his routes that he ran that, you know, wouldn't necessarily translate to being obvious for, you know, just someone casually watching. But, like, attention to detail is not there, is what it is, in my opinion. It's just laid off the snap continuously, and a lot of those blocking plays late to, like, even find his assignment, like which is, you know… I know that schemes on a whole are complex, but for one guy, it's one person that you're blocking. (laughs) You know, you, it is very easy when you're out there to know who you're going to be blocking. And he consistently did not. And so, uh, that's just, again, it comes back to attention to detail. It's how the little things, and as a coach, even though, you know, call him pick 32, you gave up a lot for him. You can't have that guy on the football field when there are probably other guys chomping at the bit behind him to play if that's what he's going to put on tape. So uh, that cannot last much longer. I'd expect to see a vastly different guy in week two. And if you don't, I'd expect to see him
1: uh, not on the field anymore. I think that also just speaks to the concept of finishing the play. You're playing until the whistle. We talk about such a high school concept, but it really did apply in what you illustrated
0: hundred percent. And it's, yeah, I mean, attention to detail, effort, they're all related, right? It's, it's all one thing. It's do you care enough to do the little things? And as of right now, week one, he did not care enough.
3: Mike, I know this is a leading question before I ask it, but I'm going to ask it. If Chase Claypool doesn't work out, how big a disaster is it that the bears gave up that 32nd pick?
0: It's big, right? It's, It's one of those things that you you should have done your due diligence as a GM. That's when you trade for a guy, you're putting your stamp of approval on him. You're saying that this guy and especially like a commodity, right? This isn't trading a pick uh, in the draft to move up and see, you know, for a wild card. You traded a, you know, borderline. You knew it was going to be at least a top 50 pick at at worst. Uh, Didn't know it was going to be pick 32, but you knew it was going to be a high pick in the draft but you did that because you thought you had a proven commodity that was improving this offense. When you get that guy and then he's actively hindering your offense, you know, truly like maybe making Justin Fields life more difficult. That is a stain on your mark as GM that you you just can't have. And so you, that's why, you know, a lot of GMs are hesitant to trade, not knowing how a guy's going to fit in, but this one, especially for what they gave up, uh, you know, that one's just going to stick with Ryan Poles for a while.
2: Mike Renner. Thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate it.
0: For sure. Thanks so much for having me. Happy going.
1: Thanks, Mike.
2: Mike Renner, NFL draft analyst for The Messenger, former PFFer and former Bachelorette contestant.